Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, and we'll be looking at the first number of verses there. Reading together the first 11 verses, when the first disciples are called... The book of Luke. As Luke writes here in these opening verses of chapter 5, he shares with us these words. Now it came about that while the multitude were pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, He saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the multitudes from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we have worked hard all night and caught nothing, but at your bidding I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Well, this morning we're blessed to have uh, Rick Hallenberg here, who is uh, the Northwest Director of SIM, serving in missions, and he is also an adjunct professor uh, at Multnomah Biblical Seminary. And this morning, if you came at 9.30, you were uh, blessed to have a a safari tour, as well as a ministry exposure of his trip to Kenya. It was wonderful to see all of those slides and pictures and enjoy and be encouraged with the work that God is doing through the Bookshare program in providing literature to pastors who cannot afford material and equipping them for the work that they need to do and helping them where there is no teacher. There is uh, sometimes a book that they can have that will help them to divide the Word of God. And so we want to encourage you to, um, to uh, learn more about uh, the ministry of SIM as well as what Rick is involved with. He has some material back there you can pick up as well on the literature table. And want to welcome him now. Let's give him a warm round of applause as he comes forward. Thank you, Pastor Joe. And thank you for the privilege of being <clears throat> here today at Living Hope Bible Church for what I consider to be perhaps the highlight of your whole year. Launching a team into a short-term mission experience that's building on what you've been doing for the past few years. And I just believe this is going to be the most blessed week at La Push yet. And I'm excited and I'm so thrilled to hear about the, the time that you've been in Mexico and to, get, to read this report. 
uh, I'm amazed. You know, a few years ago, Pastor Joe invited me to come and, uh, first of all, send some materials, uh, some videos up. And you folks have really caught the vision for missions. And now, as he, the statistics he told me, about 40% of the congregation or more has been on a short-term mission trip. Most of the high school students, and here they are, are on trips, some of them two trips this summer. You can't imagine how excited I am for you. And it's a privilege to be here to just encourage and to um, affirm what God is doing at uh, Living Hope. And thank you so much for the privilege of being here. But you know, something that I've discovered in this whole thing of recruiting missionaries, it's this. People say, you know, yeah, missions is important. I'd like to try it. I'd like to do my mission thing. And they go and do a short term and they say, you know, I tried that and did it. I've done my thing. Now now it's time to get on with life. And that mindset perhaps reflects something in our culture. We like to try something, something new, something exciting, something, wow, this is going to be something I've never done before. But once we've done it, you know, it's like it's all over. If I understand my Bible correctly, missions is who we are, not just what we do. Missions is who we are as a church and as individuals. We sang a song this morning in the worship. I want to be light. I want to be salt. I'm not ashamed to lift up your holy name implied wherever I am. Not just at La Push, not just down in Mexico, but where I live, the neighborhood I live in, the school I go to, the job I do. That's what we're called to do. And so this morning, I'd like to look at a passage that's just been read to us and talk about this subject. Fishing is more than just fishing. I got to tell you a fish story. I'm not a fisherman, but I love fish stories. And I hope this goes over okay. Uh, somebody told me this. In fact, my roommate that was with me in, uh, in, in uh, Katali, uh, Kenya, told me this story. He was talking about this fish and game warden who heard about this fisherman who would go out fishing. And he always came back with an amazing catch of fish. And this game warden had never heard of anybody who was so successful in fishing before. He just couldn't believe what was the secret of this guy. So he talked to a friend of this guy and he said, look, I want you to arrange for me to go fishing with this guy. Don't tell him I'm the game warden, the fish warden. Don't tell him who I am. I just want to learn his secret of fishing. So this friend arranged for this thing and sure enough, they went out in this rowboat. And so they go out in the middle of this lake. And this guy takes a stick of dynamite. He lights it, throws it out in the water. All these fish come up that are killed by this dynamite. He scoops them up into the boat and say, there's my catch. Well, the game warden said, do you realize you've just broken the law? Do you realize you can be arrested for this? Do you realize this is illegitimate what you've done? At that point, the man said, to him, he, he took, takes out another stick of dynamite, lights it and throws it. The guy says, are you going to keep talking or are you going to fish too? <laughs> That's a hypothetical story, I'm sure. But fish stories, you can get away with those. <laughs> the fact is, God had, Jesus Christ came into the life of Peter and Andrew and James and John with a message that was all about fishing, but it was so much more than what they understood fishing to be. Let's talk about the background of Luke chapter 5 this morning. It's the early ministry of the Lord Jesus. 
It took place up in Galilee. And if you know anything about, some of you may have been there. The Sea of Galilee is that beautiful piece of, uh, uh, that beautiful body of water there up in Galilee. And it's just a lovely area of the world. And Jesus has met his first disciples. And they've begun to follow him. And in John chapter 1, John the Baptist was their leader, there was their rabbi, was their teacher, was their, the one they were following. And, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away, taketh away the sin of the world. And they began to follow Jesus and learn about him. And early on in their experience, Jesus did that first miracle, the turning of water to wine. And they saw the power of Jesus at work. And then they were with Jesus when he was passing through Samaria and at the woman, and met the woman at the well there in, in um, uh, Shechem at Jacob's well. And they experienced the, the wonderful challenge that Jesus gave them, that the fields are white unto harvest. Are you ready to enter into this harvest? So they were beginning to understand that Jesus was there and training them for something much bigger than themselves and, and the work that they had been doing. And then in Matthew chapter 4, we have an account that's very similar to the Luke 5 passage. And some believe they're the same account. I believe they're different. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus calls them and says, look, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And they went on a, uh, a preaching tour with Jesus. But I personally believe, based upon my study of the, the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, that even though they did involve themselves with the Lord Jesus, they eventually came back to fishing again. And Jesus calls them again in Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 4, two very significant miracles take place. And again, they've experienced this with Jesus. In verses 31 to 37, we see how Jesus delivers this person with uh, an evil spirit, a man possessed by a demon. And Jesus shuts up the demon and delivers the man in a, in a miraculous demonstration of spiritual power. And then in chapter uh, 4, verses 38 to the end of the chapter, another uh, reference to all the miracles Jesus did, and including healing Peter's mother-in-law. They were down in Capernaum, and Peter's mother-in-law was very, very sick. Jesus healed her, and immediately she's not only healed, but she's up serving. A dramatic demonstration of the power of God, not only to heal of sickness, but to empower and give strength to accomplish, in this case, the purpose that she had in providing hospitality for Jesus and the disciples. But as I understand the life of Jesus, these disciples went back to fishing. That was their employment. That was the work that they did. That's the way they made a living. That was what they had as their identity in life. They were fishermen and they were good fishermen. And they had a business of fishing. And you have the two sets of brothers. You have Peter and Andrew and James and John. And they were kind of partners in this work. And so it's in this context that we begin the story of chapter 5. And we see how Jesus enters into the workaday world of these four men. They knew who Jesus was. They had experienced on short-term mission experiences the power of Jesus. But Jesus' presence and power had not yet truly impacted the very core of who they were and what they did in terms of their life experience. And so Jesus is still working on these guys. Jesus is still working to help them understand what he's calling them to. And I think they finally got the message in this particular account. My point this morning is this. If Jesus Christ truly and powerfully 
invades your world, the Monday to Saturday world, not just the Sunday morning world, your life will change forever. Your purpose in life will change forever. You will become everything that you were just singing about wanting to become with reference to your calling as a believer in Jesus. Well, with that background, let's look at verses 1 to 4. Here's the background. Jesus is teaching, as he apparently often did, by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee. And there the crowd is, is, is pressing in on him. So as he's teaching, as he's preaching, we find out that there are some fishermen there. And we find out, of course, later on who they are. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And these men have been out all night. They've been out fishing. And now they're cleaning their nets. You can be sure they were a bit tired. You can be sure they were a little frustrated because apparently they had been out all night and hadn't caught a thing. And there's nothing more frustrating if you're in business and you don't get a good harvest for whatever you're doing. They were out working hard all night and got nothing. So they still have to clean their nets. They still have to go through that. And they're going to go home, go to bed and just forget it. And hopefully the next night will be better. So they've been out doing this, and Jesus is teaching. Now, he's teaching the crowds, but in his mind, he's got a message and he's got a lesson to teach these disciples who are not fully disciples as he wants them to be yet. So he makes a request. He kind of engages Peter in his process. I'm sure Peter was working, and he's probably hearing Jesus, and you know he's feeling frustrated. He's listening to Jesus, but he's not really engaged at all in what Jesus is about right then. Jesus says to him in verse 4, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And how did Peter respond to that request? Peter answered, Master, we've worked all night and haven't caught anything. But because you said so, we will let down the nets. Now, there's some real background here if we can kind of put ourselves into the scene. First of all, we need to note the word that, Jesus, that Peter uses with reference to Jesus. It's the word epistata, which is master. It's the idea, yeah, we know you're one with authority over subordinates. And we really realize, you know, you, you're somebody important and you have the right to give orders. You're kind of like our boss and we'll obey you because of that. But this is what he's thinking. Jesus, you're a carpenter. We're the fishermen here. We really are the ones that know what fishing's all about. But because you're kind of important in our lives, we'll obey you. You ever been in a situation where somebody in an authority told you to do something, but deep down you thought, this is the stupidest thing they could ever ask me to do. <laughs> I'll do it because I have to, but in my heart I really don't want to do it. You ever done that? I'm sure you've done that. Be honest. It's like the little kid I heard about in school. Some of you are teachers. You know, his, he, he was standing up and his teacher said, please sit down. And he said, I'll sit down, but in my heart, I'm still standing up. <laughs> You've heard that. Some of us have that. I think that's the attitude that Peter had here. I really do. I really think that's what he had in mind. You see, he had seen Jesus do miracles. He had seen him deliver demoniacs. He seen he had turned water to wine. He had done healings. But Peter had never really brought the reality of who Jesus is into the world that he knew best. The world where he felt most competent. The world that he felt that he had charge of. Jesus had never really invaded that part of his world. Because that was still his world. His area of expertise. 
And you see, Jesus needed him to understand that if he was really going to understand what discipleship was all about, if he was really going to accomplish the purpose that Jesus had called him initially, he had to allow Jesus to totally and powerfully invade that part of his life. And so Jesus is working on that. And he's going to do it in this situation. You see, all of us have perhaps areas in our lives where we feel our competencies are. And maybe where we feel like we have a right to call our own shots. We have a right to make our own decisions about life. About the lifestyle that we live. About the use of our time. You know, oh, I'll give a week for uh, La Push. Yeah, I'll give a whole week of my year. That's one fifty-second of my year. Aren't I really doing good? But don't mess with my vacation, Lord. Now, some of you, let me say, I'll give you credit here. I'm sure some of you use your vacation time to go on either La Push or Mexico. God bless you. I mean, that was huge for some of you to do that. But we still have, many of us, in our minds, this kind of idea that, you know, like we tithe our time, uh, we tithe our money, we tithe our time, but the rest is ours. And I think at that point, we're merely missing out on what Jesus is trying to teach us here and trying to teach the disciples. The fact is, all of our lives are the gift of the grace of God. Everything we own, all of our time, our world is not our own, our world truly is His world, and our purpose is to glorify Him in that. And His purpose in this world is to use us as light and salt to reach the world He's put us in. And if that is not the predominant motivating thing in our lives, we're missing out on what really discipleship is all about. Now let's see how the rest of the story goes here in verse 6. When they had done so, they obeyed, not with a willing heart, but with a, at least they acknowledged Jesus' right to tell them to do that. They get out there, they put out the, the, the nets, and what happens? Yeah, you know the miracle very well. It's truly a miracle. Not only was the one boat not able to candle the catch, but they have to bring their friends out, and they fill their boat, and the boats are starting to sink. This was probably the greatest Night of fi- I mean, day of fishing. Now, let me, let me put it in context here. You need to know this. I've been to the Sea of Galilee. Have you been to Israel? You know how they fish over there back in those days. At, they would fish at night. Why? Because the fish would come up because the, the water would cool at night. So the fish would come higher up. And so they were able to do the fishing. But during the day, they went down to the lower depths where it was cooler. So it was very hard to fish during the day. Now, they cheat now. When I was there, last time I was there was 1982. It's been a long time. I've been there three times. But I remember watching the Sea of Galilee. And here comes these, 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 these fishing trawlers during the daytime. And I said, I thought they only fished at night. They said, they use sonar now. <laughs> so they know right where those fish are. So they've, they've got some electronic help. By the way, you also, when you go to the Sea of Galilee, you go to the restaurants and they, say, they feed you St. Peter's fish. It's named for St. Peter's. I'm not sure what kind of fish it is. It's very delicious. But remember, Peter was the one that also got, the, remember the, Jesus said, go fishing and out, the coin to pay the Caesar's tax, whatever. It's called St. Peter's fish. The fact is, here they go, middle of the day, put down the nets. And sure enough, there it is. This incredible catch. You see... At that point, they're encountering Jesus in a whole new dimension. They've seen him turn water into wine. I'm sure they thought, wow, this guy is really something. They've seen him deliver people. But again, it's, that's Jesus in that world. This is me in my world. They hadn't brought Jesus right into the world that they knew best. 
Now they are encountering Jesus' power as creator, controller, perfect man, control of environment, great fisherman. Wow. You see, they're seeing Jesus in a whole new way. And it powerfully changes their life. You see, Peter's work world, the place where he felt most in control, suddenly he's realizing Not only does he not have control, but in fact, Jesus is powerful in his very core of his life as a fisherman, as a man who finds his 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 reason for living as well as his means of living through that profession. And he had to respond. And so how does he respond? Notice verse eight. When Simon Peter saw this, when the full impact began to grip him, His mind wasn't on fish and all the job of cleaning all those fish. No way. He falls at Jesus' knees and says, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Isn't this interesting? Let's try to picture this. The issue was no longer fishing. The issue was no longer, hey, we're going to be rich. We've got all these fish. It's all about who this incredible person was who had invited him to be a a follower who's now invaded the very core of his being and he's on his face in front of this person saying, I don't even deserve to be in your presence. The issue is not fish. The issue is the holiness, the glory of this person. Have you ever had that kind of encounter with Jesus in your work world? Have you ever seen your work world as the place where you might be the most effective in worship? You know, we, America, we, we Americans and Westerners have a propensity to dichotomize our world in a very negative, unbiblical way. You know, we're really good at worship on Sunday morning, but Monday morning, hey, that's my job. I do it my way, thank you. We don't think about worship on Monday morning. We see that as the place we make money, and that money is hard-earned. And we give some of it on Sunday, but boy, we know what we're going to do with the rest of it. Thank you. You see, I think we've really missed this whole thing of total commitment to the discipleship to Jesus and, and, until we've really seen what I think that Peter's experiencing here. The holiness of God in a fishing boat that stunk. Have you ever thought of that? He's having the most emotional worship experience he's ever had in a fishing boat with a bunch of fish flopping around, stinking up the place. That's not where we normally think of worship, do we? But when we really have an encounter with who Jesus is, it doesn't matter where we are. In fact, the place is irrelevant compared to the person, the presence of the person that's there. And I see that's what's going on here. You see, he has a sense of unholiness. He has a sense of his own unworthiness. Remember, this is the place where he could say, I'm the fisherman. I know what I'm doing here. All of that's gone. And he's on his face, acknowledging his unworthiness, his hopelessness and helplessness in the presence of such a person. It reminds me of Isaiah in chapter 6, when he, here was this prophet, but when he saw the Lord in his holiness... He's on his face. He's saying, I, I'm a man of unclean lips. I, I live with unclean people. In the presence of the holy God, and we've sung about this this morning, 
you know, we have a whole new vision of our own lives and a, and a reality of our own sinfulness. But perhaps what's most significant is the word that, G, uh, that Peter now uses with reference to the Lord Jesus. Notice he says, no longer is it epistata. He says, go away from me, Lord, verse 8. It's the word kurie. It's the form of the word kurios. Here is a new word for Lord. It's not just, okay, boss, I'll do what you say, but really, I know better. Totally different. It's kurios. It's master Lord. It's one whose orders have to be obeyed because of who he is. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Lord of the universe. He's the Lord of the sea. And he's really the Lord of my profession. Whoa. Did I miss the boat when I just called him Epistata a couple minutes ago? You see, there's a whole new vision of the Lordship of Jesus when he really invades our lives at the core of our existence and our being and our profession. He acknowledged that his lips were, just like Isaiah acknowledged his lips were unclean. Peter acknowledges that he as a person was unworthy of this, the presence of such a one. You see, when we really experience the presence of God in our workaday world, we will become worshipers 24-7 wherever we are and especially in that area where we feel most competent we will turn that into the opportunity for a sanctuary of worship and ministry and service as the Lord would have it because he's given us that opportunity to glorify him in that context a second thing that I see here is well, look what happens verse 10 we will get a new vision of our purpose in our lives and in our work notice the other response verse 10b I love it. Jesus says, don't be afraid. How many times does Jesus, like with Isaiah, don't be afraid. In other contexts, don't be afraid. Remember, they're on the, they're on the sea and Jesus walking on the water. Don't be afraid. I've got something to teach you. Yes, it's good to fear God. And yes, you're experiencing that aspect of fear. But don't, be, don't fear. Don't be so paralyzed and helpless and hopeless that you miss my message. And this is the message he had for him. Basically. Don't be afraid. I'm going to turn this experience into making you everything I meant you to be. I'm going to help you catch men. I'm going to use you to do something that's eternally significant. Fishing is okay, men. But there's a whole lot more to fishing than fishing. You see, Jesus is turning this experience into giving Peter a new vision for his life. Don't fear, Peter. You're not going to die. I understand your sinfulness and I'm going to do something about it. And I'm going to process you through that to become a competent leader for me. But you've got to get the message. You've now got a new calling. What you've been doing is honorable. But I have something else for you. It's been part of your process to something so much greater and eternally more significant. Trust me. I know you. I designed you for a purpose. And what really impacts me as I think about this, notice verse 11. They, not just Peter, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, men who had received a call, now are really understanding that call in a new way. They pull their boats to shore. And it doesn't say, they said, okay, Jesus, we'll see you tomorrow. We've got to clean these fish, get the money, and then we'll follow you. They left their biggest catch of their whole life on the shore. And I'm sure somebody took care of it. And they followed Jesus. 
You see, when you get a vision of the calling of Jesus in your life, there's no, nothing in this world. There's no money. There's no possession. There's no anything that will possibly keep you from pursuing what is the greatest and most important thing, what God made you to do. God wants to give you a vision for what He's made you to be. Every one of us has a unique calling from God. Not all of us are called to be missionaries. I thank God that He's called me for the privilege of being a missionary. But not everybody's made for that. But every one of us has a purpose in the will of God. And that purpose ultimately will involve missions somehow. But it starts with allowing the Lord Jesus to powerfully enter the world that we live in, every facet of it, especially that world where we think we're so competent and where we think we have some control. And we really realize without Jesus in, the, the, in his presence and power, it's, his, it's my thing, not his. And I want it to be his thing. See, the Christian life is all about discipleship of this sort. It's all about the lordship, the curious nature of Jesus as being the one who has absolutely the right to be obeyed. More than that, he is the one that has to be obeyed. It's all about mission. It's all about our calling. He's left us and he's put us in a world that he wants us to reach. It's all about mission. It may be cross-cultural. It may be very much where you are right now. But God has a purpose. And I'm sad to say that I think a lot of people are missing their calling. I can name you 900 opportunities just in the SIM world that are going begging without help. But I'm glad to know that God is raising up people. Yesterday I had the privilege of meeting with a lady who lives in Redmond. She's 62 years of age. And she has just, since junior high felt that God was calling her to be a missionary and now she realizes it's time to seize the opportunity. We have a need in southern Sudan. She happened to be in Kenya this summer and met our director of our southern Sudanese ministry. He talked to her. She met Howard Brandt, who is here in this area just for a month until he goes to Kenya and his wife becomes the director for Sudan. I had the chance to meet her. I think she's going to seize the opportunity. The fact is, she is a she works in one of the schools over here as an administrator. We need an administrator to help us with 25 schools we're trying to build, develop in southern Sudan. All of her life, she's been preparing for the, maybe her greatest purpose. You say, 62, she ought to be thinking about retirement. Let's just take it easy and kind of float to heaven. That's the mindset of our world, isn't it? Work, 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 so you can do nothing for the last 10 or 15 years of your life. You know what? People don't do nothing. They die soon because they have no purpose. This lady is saying, hey, I'm 62. God has been preparing me all my life for something that is now. I love it. I love it. Yesterday, I went to a memorial service for a man who passed away. One of the most amazing stories I've ever heard. He's been very effective. He was a missionary in Morocco, came down with polio, was healed of polio, became a pastor. Amazing life. Amazing story. And he died a week ago Thursday, and they were going to have a memorial service. He pastored the Cole Community Church in Boise, Idaho. So they were over in Boise. His, uh, his widow was with them. Well, they were so close in life, she had a massive stroke Tuesday night. And during his ser- memorial service on Thursday, she went to heaven with him. Just before they sang the Hallelujah Chorus. Amazing story. But the speaker was John Johnson, and he said some pretty powerful things. 
he was talking from Psalm 39. I don't have time to preach his sermon, too, but you can read it. Psalm 39, verses 4 and 5. He's talking about the psalmist who says, Make me know my end, know how transient my life really is. And he said, Life is like a nanosecond. The Lord, he said, serves up moments. Choices we have to make about the school we go to, the career we have, whether we're going to be single or we're going to be married and who we're going to choose as our mate. We can pursue the will of God or ignore it. But those moments wait for no one. Either they're seized or they're lost. I happen to be convinced that the LaPush story and the LaPush experience is more than just LaPush. I happen to believe that the Mexico experience was more than just for Mexico. God is speaking to some of you about His purpose for your life. And I'm not just talking about the high schoolers who have a lot of decisions yet to make. I'm talking about older people, like 62-year-old lady that I talked to yesterday. There are moments to be seized. God has a purpose for our life. You may have been in a career track all your life, and just like Jesus changed Peter and Andrew from fishermen to full-time ministers and missionaries, that may be your calling. I don't know. That's not my job to tell you that. That's God's job. But please understand, these short-term mission experiences are not an end in themselves. They're a part of a process to discover the power of Jesus, not only in Mexico and La Push, but in your own individual life and experience. And it's time that all of us invite Jesus in power to really penetrate and invade the world that we think is our kind of, well, we kind of have it together there. And see what he wants to do to make us worshipers, to make us salt and light, to make us cross-cultural missionaries. Many of you are working with people of other cultures. God wants to do something powerfully in your life. And I just pray that as you go to LaPush, the team that goes, that God's going to use you. But that you see this as part of a process in your own individual life. That the Lord may be calling you and may be helping you see gifts that he's given you and abilities and opportunities. Seize those opportunities. Become all that the Lord Jesus wants you to be. And realize that fishing is truly more than fishing. Our professions are means to an end. Reaching people that the Lord Jesus brings into our lives. May we be that kind of people who experience the power of Jesus in the world we live in and become truly effective in reaching men for Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for teaching those disciples. Thank you that they saw your power in a way that they had never seen it. And that power spoke to their very core of who they were and what they did. Lord, bless the, the team going. But Lord, may it be not just what they accomplished this week. May those young people be more effective in their schools this fall. May the adults be more worshipers and witnesses and fishers of men in their work this year because of the experience. And call some from this, this church to career missionary service. And may this be part of that process. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.